0: Place. Welcome to this edition of Still in the Race, the podcast about running, except for when it's not. And in this edition, I'm going to take some artistic liberty and do a lot of not running, but we'll get to that in just a moment. And as I set off, I am determined to break through the five-mile mark that has established itself as a wall. It's the perfect morning for a challenge. Sixty-eight degrees, a soft, warm rain falling. The air is almost perfectly still, and I turn off the headphones so that I can listen to the rain. It's not just the sound. It's the sound of droplets landing on the leaves along the path that I am traveling down. You cannot capture these moments at any other place. Raining. Silence. Running. The return of races. The calendar has turned to summer, and it marks the return of a normal racing season after last summer disappeared. At this point in my life, scheduling races may feel unnecessary, but they've become an important part of my planning. To be sure, I don't need any more t-shirts to sleep in, and I have a full drawer of medals in the basement that will likely never see the light of day. Regardless, I circled the dates on my calendar and count down the days. The role that races play is they force me to keep moving. There is no taking off an extra day or cutting back in the pace when race day is closing in. Throughout my adulthood, my times have always been in the seven something per mile. That's a wide range, particularly in a 5K, but it keeps me in a channel that I've been able to hold for many years. And there's something emotional about that range, even if no one else cares. It would be wise at this point To give back 15 seconds, or better yet, learn to ignore the clock. However, mentally, I'm not at that place yet. At least for one more summer, I'm going to make Father Time try and take the seconds back. Perspective In the last episode, I talked about listening more to my wife, and I have to give a nod to the partners of runners. We are always on a schedule, evaluating meals, watching the weather. Whatever. There's always something. Last weekend, I went to the extreme and slipped in a run between tornado watches, which, even I admit, sounds bad when I say it out loud. We have to carve out the time, and that doesn't happen without the support from whoever we are sharing life with. In my case, it's complicated because sticking to a timetable is completely inconsistent with the rest of my life. I hate schedules and agendas and timelines forcing my wife to deal with my schizophrenic approach to life. And it's not just the next run lurking around the corner. It's that we have a family tradition of doing unreasonable things or taking on challenges that clearly leave us punching above our weight class. We have had children disappear into the mountains for weeks at the time, eat scorpion on a stick in China, hitch a ride to the North Pole on a Russian icebreaker, or on one adventure with my youngest as he surveyed our next obstacle and declared, this is how people die. It's not that we intentionally put ourselves in questionable circumstances, but we do have a history of making decisions that lead to those places. In most families, I can hear the mother calling out, have a good time golfing, we'll grow when you get home. Actual quotes that I've heard. Try not to kill your father. You better not kill, insert the child's name here. Don't come home injured because you were stupid. And that's fair. It's a lot of work being the mother in this family. On more than one occasion, I've apologized to her for marrying me. From the outside, I look like the model husband, but inside these four walls, I'm super high maintenance. As one of my children recently said, you realize that you're a train wreck without mom, right? It was as if she wanted to make sure that it didn't attempt being an adult unsupervised, if anything ever happened to her. And it was clear that she was the spokesperson for all of the children. All of this considered, I thought that I would take this entry and rather than babble on about running, take a break and try and create some context. It's a bit of a long story and I've taken the liberty of making some edits from the original version, but it paints a good picture of how we approach life, the places that it takes us, and the trials my wife has to put up with. A Little Too Much Adventure and The Girl with Blonde ponytails. Our journey officially started as the sun came up that morning, and we dropped off a car in a remote parking lot in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. If all went according to plan, we would emerge from the trail at that very spot several days later. It felt to me that a lot could go wrong, but my son was confident he could wind us through the labyrinth of paths in the mountains, and we would reappear at that exact spot. We then wound our way back down the mountain roads to our prearranged starting point and parked a second vehicle and a lot set aside for hikers located on the fringes of town. The entry point of the Appalachian Trail in Hanover, New Hampshire, which picks up behind the Dartmouth College campus, is remarkable in how poorly marked it is for such an iconic American landmark. And we missed the trailhead in our first pass and had to backtrack several blocks. Weighed down by much too large packs, the entrance at that particular point of the trail would prove to be deceptively postcard-like representation that reinforced my naively romantic expectations of what lay ahead on the first day of our trek. Leaving the streets behind, we skirted the perfectly manicured Ivy League campus before turning behind the athletic facilities, where a group of young men, who looked apart, were clustered in a running pack at the back of the facility. As we reached the edge of the forest, I took one look back toward civilization, and in turn disappeared into the woods with no idea of what the next few days would bring. But confident... That I was prepared for whatever the trail could throw my direction the problem was that i had no concept of the challenge that the trail planned to throw at me over the next few days it was two worlds that from a distance flowed seamlessly together but it quickly became evident that academia and culture and carefully manicured baseball fields abruptly surrendered to the mountains because in the end nature holds the trump card and is willing to patiently wait out humankind a million years of evolution step forward and the day had proved to be much more challenging than I could have ever anticipated when poring over books about the trail that were full of picturesque snapshots with hikers dressed in L.L. Bean and Patagonia without a stain or a wrinkle, all while the sun glistened in the background. A 40-pound pack that was heavy in the living room became a burden that felt like the crushing weight that it was as we slowly climbed, often forcing both of us to use our hands to pull ourselves up the rocky paths. We were little more than an hour into our journey when the reality of the challenge that we had undertaken sank in. Already exhausted from finding it impossible to ignore the voices in my head questioning my decision to take on a trail that I didn't understand, we found ourselves staring up at a section so steep that a rope hung down from the heights because those that maintained the trail realized that it was impossible for normal hikers to navigate the slope without some props. I was loath to admit it, but I was beginning to harbor some lingering doubts about taking on the mountains, in particular because, now that we were fully committed, there was no turning back. My son had spent many hours on those paths and was at home in the mountains, but clearly the trail was mocking me. Six months earlier, we had cooked up the idea to spend a week in the mountains of New Hampshire living on the Appalachian Trail, just the two of us cut off from the rest of civilization, taking on the White Mountains. It's impossible not to romanticize such an adventure, particular when it's so far out in the future. It would be the perfect father-son bonding experience. We bought the trail books and started exchanging links on articles and maps of the area, carefully laying out our adventure as we sat 800 miles apart. As is often the case, the planning becomes as much a part of the journey as the journey itself. We both ignored that the longest hike I had ever been on lasted barely an hour over familiar terrain and that most physically demanding adventures generally don't start in one's late 50s primarily because it's somewhere between bad and foolish. Regardless, we bought the tents and the backpacks and the hiking shoes and the sleeping bags, and everything else the manuals called out as essential, and circled the date on the calendar. The rest of the family thought it was unwise at best, borderline dangerous at worst. We thought it was brilliant. After all, what could go wrong? Darkness was settling in nearly 35 steps later, according to my fully charged Fitbit each one along rocky trails that quickly rose and fell, rarely providing moments to enjoy the mountains around us, never allowing us to settle into a consistent rhythm. The result was that every step of the trek became a concentrated effort as I searched for a spot to place each foot. In many ways, it was exactly as it had been described in the books. However, when reading about a challenging adventure, there tends to be much more emphasis on the romance of the journey, while the blood, sweat, and tears are referenced in symbolic terms rather than in actual blood sweat and tears upon finally stumbling into a resting point for the night and throwing down our packs we were overcome with equal amounts of exhaustion and accomplishment and i could see my son carefully monitoring this old man out of the corner of his eye to measure how i was holding up i was expecting it to be a challenge but it had proven to be the most physically demanding day of my life as we moved up and down the ridges that teased us with breathtaking scenery during those brief moments when we paused to catch our breaths and soak in everything around us. Regardless, we had made it to the end of the day, and it had a sense that we could do this. We could overcome whatever the mountain trails could throw at us. At that moment, everyone that had doubted us was wrong, at least in my mind. Clearly, we were capable of taking on the world and winning without any outside help, just as we planned. Despite the dire weather forecast that we had been carefully monitoring over the previous few days, the rain had cooperated and day one was in the books. We settled in for dinner after dumping our packs on the ground and hastily setting up camp. Our upbeat moods after the success of the day slowly took a heavy turn as we finished cleaning up and pulled out our trail books to map out our travels for the next day. It was at that moment we realized that while meticulously planning each leg of our journey back in our comfortable homes, we had misread the maps. What we thought had been a strenuous day was in fact little more than a practice run for the challenges that lay ahead. We had successfully planned out the details of every day, carefully noting the resting spots and critical points that we needed to reach if we were going to make it to the appointed stopping place for the next night before darkness closed in. What we had failed at was math. We had wholly miscalculated the number of miles that we needed to cover and combined it with a hefty dose of unrealistic expectations regarding my abilities to hike the miles through the rugged mountains. It took several minutes for the recognition to sink in that we were facing a much more significant challenge than we had mentally prepared for, or for that matter, I was reasonably capable of completing. I could see the concern in my son's eyes, which, in my mind, translated into an odd combination of panic and exhaustion. Firstly, the fifteen miles we were planning on for the final day of our journey were up and down the largest and steepest mountain that we would encounter. It was probable, to the point of virtually impossible, That we were going to run out of daylight several miles short of our destination and to increase our level of unease there were no points to stop for that night if we fell short that stretch of the trail offered very little forgiveness you either successfully crossed the mountain or you didn't and were left to deal with the consequences it would have been ambitious for the best of hikers and yet we found ourselves in that very place during my maiden voyage it was becoming increasingly clear that I could become a burden on our journey. The second challenge was that the trip was a solid 10 miles longer than we had calculated. We had planned on a 12-mile hike for day two, followed by a shorter hike the next day to set us up for the final challenge. We now realized that we needed to shorten the final leg to be closer to the mountain for our last trek, while also cramming in 10 more miles than was planned during our carefully laid out agenda. What we were facing was back-to-back grueling 17-mile days through the mountains in a section of the trail that was frequently described as the most challenging section on the entire hike. The confidence that I felt only a short time earlier was rapidly evaporating as reality rolled out in front of us. Throughout that first day, I had demanded everything possible from every muscle in my body, many of which I didn't even know existed only a few hours earlier. I had pushed myself well beyond what I thought I was capable of and now we realized that the next two days were going to be twice as far with twice the elevation. The hardest day of my life was little more than a warm-up for what we were facing. Throughout the next day, there were long stretches so challenging that we were forced to use rocks and trees around us as handholds to slowly creep up the mountains. Those challenges were only matched by the downward slopes that battered muscles that had never been tried, but were now screaming as they announced their existence. And we were in a remote location where if something did go wrong, there would be no help. I was pushing myself well beyond what was reasonable, and doing so in a desolate area of the country where we were beyond rescue, potential placing my son in a position that wasn't fair, whether he realized it or not. Reality was kicking in, yet there was nothing we could do but push on and pretend this was a reasonable challenge that ordinary people undertook. Upon reflection, it's intriguing to consider how much of my perspective changed regarding personal hygiene, during those first 48 hours on the trail. I had brought an extra set of underwear for each day because that was my version of roughing it. On a typical day of my normal life, I go through at least two pairs for no better reason than it feels good. Not only did I have deodorant, I packed cologne. And in the most glaring example of my complete lack of knowledge of what I was getting into, I packed hair gel. 48 hours later, it was all about making it to the stopping point for the night. Not only did not my hair matter, the next week didn't matter. The closest that I got to clean throughout the journey was dunking my head in an ice-cold stream where I could taste the salt from my sweat in a futile effort to wash off the grime. I went from worrying about body order to ignoring the stench to not even being aware of it in less than two days. The second day, we rolled into camp 14 hours after we had set out, unpacked foods and prepping the campsite as quickly as possible with the sun rapidly disappearing behind the mountain crest. Part of me realized that I should be amazed and impressed that we had safely arrived, but I was just too exhausted to appreciate the accomplishment at that moment. We threw our packs down, and my son started working on dinner while I searched for a suitable branch to string up the bear sack, which, it should be noted, is only applicable in places where you need to be wary of bears. This was also the first chance we had to pull off my boot and see the damage that I had done to my toe earlier in the day, which for the most part we were pretending had never taken place. At the moment that I slipped, I had realized that the big toe of my left foot was injured, and all those hours later, the precise moment that it happened was still a blur. Shortly after lunch, during one of my many slips, I fell backward into a small creek, and during the process managed to snap the big toe of my left foot when it caught under root. It was one of those injuries where you can actually hear the popping of the bone, and my stomach turned as my body instinctively reacted. I slid out of the water, briefly stopping to assess the damage, and make sure that I could still walk which, given the situation that I had no choice regardless of the damage, felt as if I was just going through the motions. I stood up, let my son know that I was going to lose a toenail, which was true, but I was trying to underplay the pulsing in my shoes so that he wouldn't worry about something that neither one of us could do anything about. The throbbing was intense, but it didn't matter. Strangely, it was made better by the reality that there was just another body part that ached at that particular moment. It took some trial and error but throughout the afternoon I slowly learned that the best way to work around the pain was to focus my weight on the outside of my foot with my toes pointed in allowing me to keep moving forward at a brisk pace. There were many miles yet to cover and the night was uninterested in my health. It wasn't the last time my mind would recognize that there was no sitting on the sideline of the mountain and waiting for the paramedics to arrive because that wasn't part of the plan. Many hours later at the end of that second day we carefully removed my blood-soaked boot to examine the injury for the first time. At any other time or place in my life, I would have considered a severely swollen and bleeding toe something that needed medical attention. However, we were in a unique time and place, so we pulled out the first aid kit, did the best 60-second cleanup job we could, wrapped it in gauze, and slipped on a fresh sock. Your mindset is entirely different when you know that the morning light will soon arrive and you will be forced to rise with the sun to make the miles because the options were uniquely singular. I'm not sure how long it takes to make that transformation. It might take several days or hours, or a distance removed from the real world that is the determining factor. I just know that the next morning, we washed off the blood again, applied more gauze, taped my toes together, and set off. I had nine good toes, and the new day would bring challenges of its own. When the starting point for the day is a state of complete exhaustion, you stop caring about certain things that mattered just a short time before. We didn't worry how we smelled, even though I was well aware that the stench grew by the hour. I didn't worry about how we looked or if we brushed our teeth. It was simply life on the trail, and we shared the same perspective with everyone else we ran across during our travels. It was all about the challenges, shared experiences, and remembering to take those brief moments to appreciate everything around you. Throughout those few days, we had learned to identify the day hikers those who go up and down the mountain, and then head back to the comforts of their home for the evening. It's no small task, yet profoundly different, even while taking place on the same winding rock-filled trails. There were fundamental differences between day and through hikers. There were visible signs, like their backpacks were small and contained only water and snacks, or, more subtly, they didn't carry that hollow look in their eyes brought on by weeks of fatigue, but the real sign was they didn't smell. It was how you could tell when another hiker is near. One young lady came walking toward us. My eyes and nose struggled to come to terms with her arrival. First, it was hard to understand how she could be so chipper and handy as she took on the mountain trails. She was moving much faster than seemed possible given the terrain and looked much fresher than I had since the first hour of our journey. But as she passed, as attractive as she might have been, the smell revealed her as a through-hiker. Because pretty doesn't cover up trail stench. When we finally reached our stopping point for the night, We both threw up our packs and collapsed to the ground. It was rapidly turning dark, so we were forced to gather ourselves and move as quickly as possible to unpack our bags and throw up our tent before taking time to eat. Looking around, we were aware that the ground wasn't ideal, but it was only after we finally crawled into our sleeping bags as darkness took over that we realized the actual slope of the ground. There was no way that we were going to be able to sleep. When we had to brace ourselves to prevent rolling over, we were going to be forced to climb back out of the dark and shift the tent until we found a more level patch of ground. However, while we were complaining, we both drifted off. We spent the night rolling into each other, but were just too tired to care, and slept soundly, even as we ultimately shared the same downward corner of the tent. It would have been impossible to have a better night's sleep. What turned out to be our final day on the trail was an accident, but it was full of unexpected turns, breaking both good and bad. Eight hours in, I crashed into a wall, that left me feeling as though I could not move on. The miles of my age had finally violently collided. I was struggling to catch my breath and was forced to find a place to rest while my son disappeared down a large hill in search of water to replenish our empty tanks. A soft rain had started to fall and I sat on a log with my head down, drifting in and out of sleep, despite the deteriorating weather. He would later confess that he feared that I had reached the end of my physical rope and was in danger of not being able to finish the hike he found himself sitting next to me and working through his options to get me off the mountain, which, of course, there were none. If I were unable to go on, he would have to take to the trail alone and search for help, hoping that he could find his way back to me. We both took a seat. Then, after nearly twenty minutes of rest, several sticks of water, and a handful of nuts, for reasons that were at best improbable, I found my strength suddenly returning. I was not only able to push on, I found myself invigorated. As drained as I'd felt only a short time earlier, I discovered a second wind, and throughout the next four hours made my way up and down the mountain trails without ever approaching that low place again. My gait was awkward as I tried to avoid my toe, but I had reached the point where I could sense the end even as I was aware that it was several hours away, and the biggest challenge still lurked in the distance. While I was feeling good about myself, I had failed to notice that my son had taken a turn for the worse, and his low blood sugar made its first appearance of our journey due to our lack of discipline regarding calorie intake and hydration. He had been worried about me and forgot to take care of himself. He began to get dizzy and at a certain point started to wobble noticeably. Finally, he confessed that he was struggling with his vision and was having trouble feeling his feet. It was now his turn to wonder if he could go any further without rest. He dropped his pack and sat down on a large rock with his head down as we came into a clearing at the edge of a narrow mountain road. I set my pack down next to his to lighten my load, surveying the area to access where we could make camp in case he could go no further. I poured him some water and dug out a snack from the bottom of my pack, then headed down the road to locate where the trail picked back up, finally finding the sign hidden several hundred feet south. It listed the distance to several points, including 1.4 miles to the next site for the night, our goal for the day. It also contained a cryptic message about flooding in the area and to take care when foraging the river. Considering that it had been raining on and off for several days, including one rather ferocious storm the night before we set out, I anxiously made my way down to the banks of the river, more than a little fearful of what awaited me. Once in view, it was worse than I feared. But there was something in my desperation that defied logic, and I still somehow believed that we could navigate the crossing and successfully make it to our destination before darkness settled in and the storms arrived. I turned back to trek on him, hoping that I would find him regaining his strength and ready to go attack the river. He was feeling a little better when I returned, but clearly had very little left to give. We slowly walked across the road and moved down to the edge of the river. At that moment, reality mercilessly came into focus. There was no way we were crossing. The river was filled with rapids that were at least waist deep, with numerous dark areas that hid their depth. It would take a skilled professional even to attempt a crossing. We moved back off the trail and sat down along the deserted road somewhere in the middle of the mountains. His head was down. The winds had picked up, and soft rumbles of the approaching storm could be heard in the distance. And, as I looked on my feet, there was a sign that clearly showed where we had arrived. I was standing in a puddle of water that was slowly turning red. We had given the trail our best, and the trail had won. And with night settling in, it wasn't done with us yet. There was another sign a couple of hundred feet back up the hill, so I left my pack behind and headed up the road, hoping that it would offer something that could help. I expected nothing, but I didn't have a better plan. It gave me some time to contemplate how we were going to make it through the night. I didn't want him to see me with a complete lack of confidence that I feared he had already seen in my eyes. I had no plan. Neither one of us had a plan. However, it was at that lowest moment that I spotted a young blonde girl with a backpack and poles walking down the road toward me. I cringed as I realized how she must have felt when she saw me. I would have appeared precisely as I looked. A gray-haired man, badly in need of a shower, hobbling as if injured, on a deserted road with no help within shouting distance if I had ill intentions. As a father of a daughter of my own, I was mortified with what I must have represented to this young woman, and a part of me silently hoped that she would turn and run away from me as fast as possible. But there was no alternative but to reach out to her. However, being that we were on the Appalachian Trail and the camaraderie that followed us throughout our adventure, Naturally, she assumed my intentions were pure and smiled as she approached. In the least threatening voice that I could muster, I inquired about other ways to cross the river or nearby small towns that might offer shelter from the coming storm that was moving in far too quickly. In a cheerful manner, the young lady let me know that she needed to keep moving because she was racing toward a store with a crossing five miles away. I felt my heart sinking, well aware there was no way we could make the journey in our current state. Then, in an instant, our world changed as she wished us luck. She turned and pointed up the road toward a gathering of trees near a curve and suggested that we consider spending the night at the hostel that was just beyond the horizon. I just stood there, staring blankly as she smiled, wished us luck, and turned her back on me. Suddenly, at that moment, I found myself with the strength to jog up the hill toward the clump of trees. Fifteen minutes later, after facing one of the most helpless moments of life, I found myself sitting on a clean mattress, eating a microwave pizza, and drinking a local IPA at a hostel in the middle of the mountains that accepted Visa. My son was stretched out on the bed next to me, slowly getting his strength back, the color returning to his face. I grabbed my beer and headed out the back door, where they had an outside shower complete with warm water. It was a moment that I had found myself fantasizing about throughout the last several days. In a strange way, It was the only way to close out the most improbable of days. The shower was behind the hostel and open to the elements, and for the first time in days, I closed my eyes and let the water wash away the dirt and sweat. I was slowly starting to feel like a real person again. A soft rain had begun to fall, and I carefully tried to wash the blood off of my toe, only to realize that I was fighting a losing battle, because clearly, it had never stopped bleeding. I tried to dry off as the rain and wind began to pick up, finally getting to pull on a pair of those fresh underwear that I had dragged halfway across the country. That night, as I watched the lightning usher in a punishing summer storm with 60-mile-an-hour wind gusts that shook our shelter for hours, I was trying to imagine what it would have been like if we'd have been trapped on the mountain in a small tent. Mostly, I hoped that that young woman who had spent less than 60 seconds in my life had found a warm, dry, safe place to ride out the storm. She would never know that she wandered into our carefully planned out adventure and carved out a permanent place the storm persisted the next day and on the recommendation of her host everyone stayed off the mountain and he spent the day shuttling those of us that needed to move on to their next stop for us it was a quick drive around the base of the mountain to a parking lot where we had left the car several days earlier a few hours later we were back in hanover at my car where journey had started our adventure wasn't always pretty At times, it bordered on foolish. However, it was a real adventure, and that's exactly what we had set out for when we started planning all those months earlier. It will remain one of those life moments that always sticks with you because it turned out to be much more than we had planned on. They are the moments of life that create a new line, things that happened before or after the moment. My son hopped in his car and headed for the East Coast. I climbed behind the wheel and pointed back to Grand Rapids. We were already planning our trip for next year. As for my wife, we had met the criteria. He hadn't killed me, I hadn't killed him. Although, we would let a couple of years pass before we shared the details of our adventure because we both realized being the mother in this family isn't always an easy thing. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of Still in the Race. If you would rather read than listen, the longer version of this story can be found at StillInTheRace.com. I I promise to get back to more running stories in the next edition. Production and editing are care of Trey Jones. You can find him at TreyJonesWriter.com. Additional editing and artwork, Astrid Burke. You can find them both at BabyDeverPodcast.com. I look forward to next time when I hope to have something to say, but don't count on it.